Hello and welcome to Case Reopen, the number one Detective Conan rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Treese, and I'm joined by, as always, the wonderful, very Canadian Colleen. How's it going up there? Hello, eh? Everything's good, eh? Can you tell is I'm Canadian, be, eh? Is, is that going to be your new thing? You're just going to say eh all the time? No, I don't even say that in normal conversation, but it apparently is a distinct Canadian, I don't know, turn of phrase. I don't even know what it's called. Ending to a sentence. I kind of I like it, eh? <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, do the rest of this episode like that, eh? So we've got two, uh, we've got <laughs> one that died quickly, eh? episode, eh? No, no, eh? <laughs> It's still alive, eh? Uh, <laughs> now it's gonna die. So we've got one Detective Conan episode and then a Gishoyama short story here where we're gonna deal with a very tiny Did you just detective, say a? even smaller. It deals with a very tiny detective, I guess, eh? Uh, English language joke. Eh... So we start off with episode 109, which is the Detective Club Pursuit Case. This originally aired July 13th, 1998. And the Conan tank going into this episode was Muddy Water, Colleen. Were you excited to look out for some muddy water? Yeah, um, that's my favorite type of water. Definitely. <laughs> you don't seem enthused. <laughs> nah, there's, there's not too much all that exciting about muddy water to be honest oh, okay well i don't i take back what i said <laughs> so Kenneth sets up today's case by saying today's case is a suspicious car beware of traffic accidents which i guess is good advice all the time so beware of uh traffic accidents eh yeah good it's just good life advice eh the episode begins with Kenneth chasing down a jewelry robber on his skateboard eh he corners him and then uses his powered-up shoes to kick a can and knocks him out. Uh, the rest of the detective boys then jump down from above and trap him in a rope. They celebrate with a victory call and get thanked by the police later on. I like this quick opening. We get to see the detective boys get into some action, you know, solve a, a crime, you know. I, I liked how this episode starts. Um, yep, it... Uh... It was reminiscent of the last one with the jewelry robber, I suppose. So, kind of going on that same vein. Um, but yeah, it was good, good action-packed start. After they proclaim that they'll take any case and solve it, Ken remarks that their talk is getting a little too big, eh? We then see a mysterious <laughs> figure being covered of the case. You just sneak them in now. <laughs> and grinning sadistically. So, we see this mysterious figure that's up to no good. Just taunting the neighborhood. What what do you think about this evil guy? Oh, I definitely thought he was out to get the detective boys, but in a much more heinous way than what actually happened. Yeah, I thought he was like trying to get revenge for his like jewelry syndicate or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was definitely on that same kind of vein like revenge, and I thought that he was gonna try and frame them eventually for something so the kids celebrate with a meal that's paid by kogro of all people 
but only because Megary told him to. And uh, Kokoro then complains that the whole month's allowance was used for the dinner. Yeah, Kogoro wouldn't do it out of the goodness of his own heart. Definitely not. On their way home, they discuss the case with Ron and reveal that the robber had committed 50 previous robberies. Conan was able to spot a suspicious customer and they brag that their cases will increase after this spotlight. We then see a red sports car behind them, which speeds up and it just hits Ayumi, man. What a dick. (laughs) So... I was still unsure about, after watching the preview, I wasn't sure if it was an accident or if it was an actual hit and run, just by, you know, the way she was hit. But yeah, that that wasn't cool. He just hit a little girl. Conan spots the plate, which reads Shinjuku 33 NA 33-96, and then chases after the car on his skateboard as Kogur goes to report the hit and run. Conan's about to speed off when Genta and Mitsuhiko hop on board. <laughs> and I, I like this moment because they're like, Conan, we know you're going to say that, you know, we shouldn't be here, but chill. We got to work together. This is personal. Ayumi's involved. So I, I like Genta and Mitsuhiko standing up for themselves and uh, forcing their involvement here. Yeah. No, it was really, uh, it was a nice comedic touch because... Like, Conan was all serious about going into the chase scene, and then you've got these two <laughs> these two brats joining along. Um, I I did find it quite funny that the skateboard, like, grew twice as long, just so all the kids could fit. It's a and special other, feature, man. Uh, Agasa made it so. Obviously. Agasa thinks of everything. And uh, the other thing that I was wondering... Was uh, whether like Conan would start off the skateboard and it just wouldn't move because Genta is on it, but uh, no, they they decide not to go down that route. Yeah, no fat jokes here. Conan spots the car after briefly losing it, and it's kind of strange. The car keeps stopping for them to catch up, almost as if he wants to be chased. It then leads them to a factory building, and they ask a nearby cigarette shop worker. If a red car passed by, she says that two or three cars came by, and then she gets a phone call and just totally ignores them. Despite wasting three minutes, the boys then spot the car, which Conan said was was backing up. Just as they're closing in on the car, the car stops, and the boys actually run into it. So there's our little humor for the day, as they just smash right into the rear end of this car. Yep. (laughs) I mean... You can pretty much guarantee that anything that Genta's involved in will be humorous. They then look up and realize that they're right at the Baker police box. A man exits the car and asks to be arrested as he committed a hit and run. So what do you think about this case here, Colleen? The guy that, like, just hit Ayumi for no reason. He pulls himself in. He says it was an accident. He feels bad. What do you think about this guy? So I was surprised that uh, his first instinct was to turn himself in when he got to the police station. I thought that maybe it had something to do with, like, he knew that the kids would bump into him and uh, they were right in front of the police station so the kids would get in trouble. But it kind of took a different turn than what I expected. So I was like, okay, there's definitely something up with this guy. He's a little too suspicious. Like, I, I wasn't buying his whole, like, oh, guilty act. Later at the hospital, Mitsuhiko explains to Ayumi that the man thought of escaping, but then his guilty conscience made him turn himself in. 
Ron says that Ayumi luckily only received a scratch and won't have to be hospitalized. She then says that she lost the detective boy's badge during the incident and that the police didn't retrieve it. Karen says Agasa will make her a new one, and this attracts the jealousy of both Mitsuhiko and Ginta after Ayumi thanks him. So there's a lot of, a lot of little love moments here where Conan's kind of sucking up the Ayumi. She, he's getting the affection, much to Ginta and Mitsuhiko's, you know, they're kind of pissed off about it. Yeah, like, there were a lot of love square moments in this episode. It was, it was quite enjoyable. Kegura then tells them to follow him to the factory facing 4th Street, as Agasa is waiting for them there. He reveals that somebody was actually murdered at the factory, and we learn that the victim was the factory's manager, Ishikura Hisashi. It was a robbery as well, as his safe was opened, and Megari reveals that the factory was closed today, but Ishikura came in to check on inventory. So Colleen, somebody's dead. This guy that we never meet and never learn anything really about, just... He was offed. Yeah, how am I supposed to care about this victim? <laughs> like, there's no backstory. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, I didn't expect it. Like, okay, I didn't remember this case going into it. I thought this was just going to be kind of a hit-and-run whatever type of case, but the sudden introduction of a murder suddenly intrigued me. Yeah, I feel like this episode does a lot of stuff really well. I think, like, the core hit-and-run stuff's interesting. I really like the weirdness of the culprit, and we find out that he's using the detective boys for his alibi. But they kind of really drop the ball with, like, just the murdered guy doesn't matter. And then they don't bother to give any, like, background on the murderer either. Like, they're just as generic set pieces as can be. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of fell flat in that area, but there are other highlights I found in this episode. Yeah, for sure. Conan notices traces of tape on the mouth of the victim and on his wrists, and he wonders why the killer ripped off the tape. His line of thought is then interrupted by Kogoro, who yells at him to leave the crime scene. After running out the back door, Conan notices that he's right in front of the cigarette shop woman. Takagi then reports the time of death was about an hour ago, which was right when the detective boys passed by the area. That was obviously the best part of the episode where Takagi reported something. Let's just yep. be honest. Good old Takagi. Yep. Always good for his police duties. They didn't spot the true. man. <laughs> but... They didn't spot the man that hit Ayumi in a picture in the office and wonder if he's the killer. However, Kogoro dismisses that, saying he couldn't kill someone in the middle of a hit and run, which makes sense. So. All this stuff's coming by, and obviously he's the only suspect, Colleen, so we know he's probably done it, but did you have any, like, uh, thoughts on what he'd done to pull this all off? Wait, so it's not the cigarette shop woman? Oh, is that- did you think she did it? <laughs> no, but that would have been a nice twist. Well, nice. It would have been an interesting twist. Um, no, so I thought, well, by the, by this time I, I realized, okay, he's using them for an alibi because I thought the entire time he was trying to frame them for something like back on the revenge plot. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I was, um, just intrigued by how elaborate this whole alibi scheme was. I actually thought it was pretty interesting, like for a guy that we don't know much about. Uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty creative what he did. 
we learn that the man who did the hit and run is named Shishido Kenichi, and that he's using the children as his alibi, and he admits that he's a former employee that was released last month. He says it's just a coincidence that he was nearby, and Mitsuhiko just immediately takes the bait. He's like, well, yeah, just coincidence. Well, that's Mitsuhiko for you. Exactly. Kagura says that maybe he went in from the back while the kids weren't looking, but the cigarette seller says she never saw a car parked at either the back door or in the alley. So Kagura also dismisses it, saying it must be a coincidence, but Conan believes there's more to the case. So we've got ourselves a mystery, Colleen. <laughs> I I certainly hope so. Because, I mean, as much as I would like a slice of life episode here, um, Conan kind of advertises a mystery every episode <laughs> imagine imagine if there was just no mystery one episode nobody gets yeah, killed that's the mystery nope yeah, yeah. why the is nobody getting is killed whether <laughs> yeah that'd be megary oh my gosh they could do like a little spin-off episode where megary's just bored one day he's like why is kogro not at a crime scene yeah, we learned that Kagura is just sick at home, and he can't go anywhere so nobody can die. Yeah. <laughs> Conan's got a big test at school that he's studying for. Ron's just at karate practice. Well, that's where the murder would occur, then. Somehow Ron would get it, then. She'll get the bad luck. Oh, I hope not. She's She has a very important purpose. In these episodes, it's to call the police slash ambulance and hold flashlights in door holes. <laughs> Line door holes. At least it wasn't a manhole. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moving on. Kenan tells Mitsuhiko and Ginta to go visit Ayumi at her house. They tell him that they need to actually behave as a group. Uh, Genta says that he's thirsty and uses a machine near the cigarette box to get a juice. As Conan passes by, he notices that the old woman is turned around and not facing the window while talking on the phone. He then asks her if anybody dialed the wrong number at the time of the incident, and she says that there were two of those, so that's a big clue there. Oh, absolutely. I thought that was weird. Like, one, maybe, but two? That's just off. Conan then runs off and asks Genta to lift him up to see through a factory window, he then sees a car similar to the one that hit Ayumi, and spots a shining object near the front left wheel. We then see Conan call Megari and Kogoro, pretending to be the other, and so he sets up another one of those meetings between them at the factory. Once Kogoro arrives, he's greeted by the detective boys who offer him a beer. However, Conan knocks him out before he can take a single sip, and is like so sad, he's like, but I wanted to take a sip. Ugh. <laughs> uh, I I love when they add a little bit of dialogue before Kogoro goes under. Yeah, we get a, a funny scene where Genta and Mitsuhiko are impressed at the sudden transformation, and they're wondering if he noticed that the empty bear can was just filled with water. So uh, probably a good thing that he didn't get accepted then. Yeah, it wouldn't have done anything for him, or he might have even gotten angry. Kenner then uses Kogura's voice to tell the kids that they have a mission, 
and Meguri then walks in with Shishido, and Kegura accuses him of having a grudge against the factory, and says that he's the killer. Gasp! The only other character we know, except for the cigarette lady, did it. Who would have thought? Well, let's let's just wait. The deduction is not over yet. The cigarette butt lady could come in. Sorry, cigarette store owner. She's not a cigarette butt lady. Yep, she only sells cigarette butts. It's a very niche business. Imagine. They don't have much business. <laughs> they don't get many customers, but that's what they do. Yeah. It's the coolest of the cool. If smoking cigarettes is cool, then just having the cigarette butt is probably the peak of coolness. Yeah, it's for those that want to look like they smoke, but don't actually smoke. So they just buy some cigarette butts to put in an ashtray. Yeah. I feel like there's a business here. Well, it certainly has something to do with, you know, recycling and making money off of people's garbage. There we go. I'm sure there's a business model in there somewhere. Kegger says that it's impossible to commit a crime while escaping another one, but he had planned to use the kids as an alibi the entire time. He points out that the man regularly stopped and waited for the kids to catch up. But Shishida says that his car's engine was in poor condition. Maguri backs this up by saying the car plugs were worn off and that the engine was vexing. Kagura says that even an amateur could do that and says that there were three minutes where Shishida was unaccounted for. Shishida then argues that the cigarette seller would have seen him if he went through the back door. However, Kagura says that he used her as well as he entered by foot. Maguri asks what happened to the car and that's when Conan comes out and tells them that they found another car in the warehouse. Aha! Yeah, they got him. The police check the car, and they find out that it has the same exact plates that Conan spotted earlier. The police ask Shishida why there's an identical car, and he just has no excuse. He's just like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I can't... He says something really lame. He's just like, of course there could be another car like mine. Why not? Or something. I could be making that up, but whatever it was, it wasn't a very good excuse. Kegger alleges that he switched the license plate, and he says that Shishida used the drug to knock out Ishikura and then used the tape to tie him up. Afterward, he committed the hit and run and had the kids follow him, he then led the kids to the factory, and that's when he hid the car. He then used the phone to call the cigarette shop and pretend it was a wrong number to distract the lady. He killed Ishikura tore off the tape, and made it look like a robbery. He then called the lady again while leaving, and went to where the second car was hidden. The second car had the bad car plugs and everything, and that's when he drove to the police box and turned himself in with the alibi. What did you think about this trick here, Colleen? I thought it was really good. It was it was so simplistic, but it it worked for what he needed. And it was really contained in just that one area. So there wasn't a lot of like running around or going like to the second floor and dropping like a mattress on somebody or whatever, or trying to hoist somebody up to another balcony or stuff like that. It was just like simple. Uh, He calls, runs, (laughs) then he calls again, runs back, basically. Yeah, it was kind of refreshing just to have this on such a smaller scale and know like, it's not really a criminal mastermind. It's just this guy that thought he could you know, get away with it. Like, kind of like that. I yeah. really like that aspect of the case. Yeah. I kind of uh, wish there was maybe a little bit more 
around why he used the detective voice. I guess it's kind of self-explanatory that they would take the bait because they said like, oh, we take any case. So the guy's like, well, the kids probably can't resist this. Well, Colleen, what other kids have a murdered-powered skateboard to chase him on? Oh, so you you didn't have one of those growing up? You didn't have a Dr. Gossip? you did? Next door? You did? <laughs> what so the hell's going on in Canada? Dr. Siegfried, who um, was our next-door neighbor, and he would make these inventions for me as a little girl. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm making that up. <laughs> Surely not. I thought this was true. <laughs> I guess you'll never know now. Shishida asked for proof that the other car was used for the hit and run. Kagura asked Takagi if there were muddy water tracks on the confiscated car and learns that there weren't any. That's odd as there were puddles all by the factory. So there's that clue of the puddles. And uh, that can be seen on the other car. Shishida then asked for more proof. And Kagura has Conan... Tell Mitsuhiko to call Ayumi's badge. He does just that, and a policeman spots the badge on the other car. So that was that shiny object earlier. So he's all caught there. Conan says, your intention was to use this as an alibi, but it seems to have proven you guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, duh. (laughs) And uh, then the murderer just falls to the ground. He says, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, he doesn't have any sort of, um, you know, final words of, oh, I killed him because, you know, he did this to me, or I feel bad, or what a waste, or whatever. He's just like, no, this is ridiculous. My plan was foiled by these brats. Yeah, he just goes, the shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Yeah, definitely. That that was something that happened. <laughs> yeah, so he says he's not a hollaback girl. And uh, that's when we get the new ending song, which isn't by Gwen Stefani, but by Miho Komatsu. It's called... The, uh, the Gwen Stefani of Japan. Yes, the Gwen Stefani of Japan. <laughs> she was in the a No Doubt tribute band. <laughs> so the song is called Kori no Ue ni Tatsu yo ni. I've got some English lyrics here. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but just so we get a taste for it. It says, I want to do something as dangerous as standing on ice, which isn't that dangerous. Like, it's ice. Yeah. It's not going nowhere. Yeah, we have a lot of that here. (laughs) I want to mold even the dreams my love has painted into a shape. That's my destiny forever. If a spaceship comes down before my eyes, I want to stretch out my arms and get on without hesitation. I'm sure I won't want to regret one day. So I'll leave the Earth, leaving even my friends behind. They say the days when nothing happens are the best, but the truth is I'm running away, letting my days without you get the better of me. I'm trying to let the newspaper articles edited to just a few lines keep me in suspense, but I'll do it my way so I don't give up halfway through. Because I'm living in the place I always wished to. What, like outer space? This is so weird. All I have to do is cut my fringe a bit shorter, and I'll be reborn. I like that way of thinking. I want to keep a straight face. Oh it's a secret much as I love you. My heart is flying further away faster than light. That's my destiny forever. I yeah. was transported there. <laughs> like it went from the, the the best line, the spaceship line, to 
cut my fringe and I'll, <laughs> what is it, experience a whole new world or something? You know what they say, you know, do a little haircut, changes your whole perspective. Yeah, so I, I guess so, because maybe you'll actually see something if your bangs were too long. What do you think about this new ending song? Um, so lyrics aside, like as interesting <laughs> as they were, I, I, I enjoyed the song itself. Like as long as I don't know what they're saying, like melody was nice, voice was nice. I liked it all. Um, and I liked uh, the. What if What if I told you they want to do something as dangerous as standing on ice? I mean, if they wanted to jump on the ice, that'd be maybe dangerous. <laughs> Depending on how thin the ice was. Yeah, but it was that spaceship line that really got me because it didn't match the visuals at all. Because I think, like, in the ending, Conan's, like, standing in a demolished building site or something. And he's like, I want to yeah, go on a Yeah, transported by a spaceship. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, But other than that, I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I, I like the visuals uh, of... Because at one point, I think Shinichi was standing... Uh, like an an opening, and then at the end, Conan's there. So we see that imagery a lot, where like obviously Sh- Conan is now Shinichi, and you've got Ron there, kind of searching for them. So it wasn't anything revolutionary, but I I enjoyed it, the song and the the visuals that went along with it. Yeah, this isn't my favorite ending, but uh, it's. I don't think it's particularly bad or anything. I think it's hard for me to take it seriously after reading those lyrics. <laughs> yeah. I also like the last song, which was also done by uh, Miho Kamatsu, the Japanese Gwen Stefani, uh, a mm-hmm. bit more. <laughs> so after the ending song, Conan returns Ayumi's badge to her, and she kisses him on the cheek. This Uh-oh. upsets Kintin Mitsuhiko, who chase after him, and they're, they're screaming at him. They say, where did she kiss you, mother? Bleep! Oh, okay, because, so in my version, Mitsuhiko says, I want to kiss you there, or something like that. And I was like, what is he talking about? I'm gonna kiss you there. (laughs) Like, I'm gonna kiss you with my fist right there. (laughs) I'm gonna kiss you with my foot in your mouth. That's a weird way to kiss, eh? Eh, yeah. That, That would hurt, eh? So the the next episode, the Conan's hint is ice, 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 ice baby. Calling. Oh no! I was gonna go for that joke. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Standing on ice is dangerous, by the way. It's as cold as ice. <laughs> a. Rob Van Wrinkle. Eh? <laughs> um. So just going back to that kiss, uh. That that wasn't the first time Ayumi kissed Conan, was it? No. No, I think we've had one before. Annie got kissed by the best girl, Suzu. Remember, that was Conan's right. first canonical kiss. Was with Suzu. The uh, the island harlot. Yeah. Do you ship Conan and Ayumi? No, I, I ship him and Suzu. Oh, else would I so you're, you're still on that. Yeah, obviously. Okay, just checking. Yeah, I don't think I can ship Conan and Ayumi just because I'm a Shinron fan. So what do you think about this episode overall? Overall, I thought this episode was pretty good. 
Because this is an anime original, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for a one-episode anime original, uh, I don't know if we can expect a whole lot. Uh, like I said, I thought the the trick itself was pretty smart, given sort of the constraints the guy was working with. Um, the fact that he had two identical cars was a little far-fetched. I was like, because they're sports cars, right? So I don't know how he managed to get his hands on those cars, but I guess I'll just park that. Pun not intended. Um, and uh, what was the last point that I wanted to make? Oh, I, I, again, the the culprit is foiled by like one little thing that had it not happened, he probably would have gotten away with it. But the fact that Ayumi's badge was found like between the tire and the the car. Um, yeah, I, I guess I... It's just always interesting to see how that kind of stuff plays out that uh, he didn't expect it. It was ridiculous, as he said. Yeah, so I, I kind of felt two ways about this episode. I thought, like, Suspect and the murder plot was, like, really weak. But there was so much I liked about it. I liked the whole... It was it's so different from most cases. You know, usually we... Like, when there's a murder, usually it's set up pretty early on, and instead we have this hit-and-run that's used as a distraction, so, like, there's so many cool aspects of the case, and I, I like that the detective boys get the spotlight, obviously, and a lot of small things are set up, you know, like the like you said about the detective boy badge being there, so I, I liked all these little elements, it's just, I guess when you look back at it, and you're like, oh, this guy that like committed the crime is so forgettable and i feel like there was time to like flesh him out slightly more like i didn't need a ton just tell me why you killed the dude like was it just because you were fired was there like it was it an unfair fire like just give me like 10 seconds of dialogue there and like i can feel like better about these characters and i have like some reason to know but we don't really get that so they're just as generic as can be i can't even tell you what the guy that died, what's his name is. I can't even tell you. It was like Shishido or something was the, the murderer. Like, it's they're really just forgettable, replaceable characters. But other than that, like, it's a really strong case, especially for an anime original. I think it does its job as just being an interesting one-off case that, you know, it doesn't have any big meaningful things for in the future. There's nothing like that. But what it does is, you know, it entertains you for the 23 minutes. And it definitely did that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it seemed like an easy watch. And it had enough comedic moments for sort of the the fans pushing forward into the story. Like, you've got your little Ayumi love triangle with all the other boys. And you've got, you know, Conan, or not Conan, but Kogoro being Kogoro. And so all the characters are, you know, they're kind of being themselves within their own uh, narrative jokes. And then the rest of the case is a pretty easy watch. Um, I didn't feel... And you've got the greatest fan service of all, which is getting to see Takagi. Takagi? Absolutely. His one line in this episode, if you even have that. Uh, yeah, that that was the best part. That and uh, the cigarette shop owner. She, uh, she was a, a gem. I, I loved um, <laughs> the part... 
and I was debating whether I should bring this up, but I just thought it was too funny to pass up. Um, when the boys are first asking her whether she's seen this car and he, they're describing it to her, they're just like, you know, it's a sports car. It has two doors. Like, the most basic description you can basically have of a car. And her response is, sorry, I don't know anything about cars. And then she, like, goes away and ignores them. Yeah, like, they're not asking you to change the oil, man. What are you doing? Or they're not asking you, hey, was it a, you know, Ferrari or was it a Porsche? Or did you see that Lamborghini, you know, turn? Yeah, they're like, it's red and it's sleek and has two doors. (laughs) Did you see it? She's I like, don't know I am not an expert. <laughs> so yeah, I I just really love that character. I I, I kind of wish that she popped up more, maybe. Just like these random cigarette shops all over the city, and they're all um the 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 person selling them is always that little old lady. Yeah, she's a good character for sure. Um. So I cut you off by accident. Um, you were saying something about there not being much of much signs of danger during this episode. Yeah. So even when um, Ayumi got hit, um, I guess in any other situation, I might have thought that that was going to be a bigger issue. Like, but I mean, she just kind of got hit, and it was resolved really quickly. Although it resulted in Ayumi sort of sitting out the rest of the case like she wasn't even involved in uh, solving it or anything but I didn't feel like the the boys were in danger at all um following this guy but the the beginning of the episode made it seem like he wanted to do something like the culprit wanted to do something a little worse just the way you know he was sitting um wherever he was in the dark room and I don't know. It it just seemed like they were promising something that actually they didn't deliver on. Yeah, I feel you there. Especially, and it's odd that, like, even if you, like, were an expert driver, like, to be able to purposefully hit somebody but make sure they don't, like, get injured, like, was that a mistake? Was that something he planned to do? Was just pressure? Like, that seems way too, that seems like it could go wrong so easily. And that's kind of just completely overlooked here. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Actually, it would have even added another layer if this guy was actually, you know, a former race car driver or something. Like, it wouldn't fit in this story, but I could imagine, you know, a two-part episode. And I think we have, we have see cases in the future with, like, professional drivers or whatnot. Um, at least there's one that I could think of. It's, like, has to do with, uh, with stunt people. They're on a, a movie set. But uh, even if, like, it had something to do with, you know, oh, we find out that he's actually, you know, a pro driver, so it, conceivably he could have maneuvered the car in such a way that it hits Ayumi without really hurting her. Yeah, definitely. And so we're going to move on to the Kishoyama short story episode four, which is Detective George's Many, Many Big Strategy. What a title. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, going into this, just knowing the title, where were your expectations here? Oh, geez. Um, so, after our chat, when you revealed that this was going to be, like, a, a little tiny guy, um, that's all I really knew. I had no idea what the plot was about, and, uh, to be honest, 
after the episode was over, I was still like, what did I just watch? Um, but yeah, it, it I kind of went blind into this blind. Yeah. Was Inspector Gadget like tiny or was he just ridiculous? He was normal sized, but he had like, he was, if you want to call it genetically modified or something like he had okay. things put in him like saws and I don't know, laser pointers and a propeller and things like that. Considerably taller than George here. Yes, yes, he was. So, yeah, I didn't know anything about this except for that he was a tiny little dude. I just love, on the uh, Detective Canon World Wiki, they describe George as an unusually small man. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my dating profile. That's what uh, you've got up there? Claim That's what I've fame. got down there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So you you've got like I like long walks on the beach, and <laughs> the other part. <laughs> Unusually small man. Ah, uh, so the special opens with a woman in sunglasses being chased by a bunch of men in black suits, although they're not from the black organization. Uh, she goes up an apartment staircase, and she reaches the. Kirishima detective agency on the roof. The men spot her and she runs inside a door labeled Gioji's office. And that's when she hears a voice to ask her what is with all the racket that's going on. Wait, it didn't say George's office? No, it said Gioji's. There was no R. Oh, seriously? Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I just read the R. <laughs> I don't know if like, uh, like that's George in Japan, J- Japanese or something like a Romanji or or what? It, there was no R. Okay, might have just been an okay. error. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, she hears this voice and she's like, "Where the hell's this guy?" Uh, but she's like, "Please help me! Please help me!" She can't see him anymore. And that's and he's like, "Yo, I'm right here." And then she finally spots <laughs> him. He's right on the desk and he's about yay high, three inches. What do you think about this guy? He's so tiny. I mean, that was like the most predictable part of this episode for me because you warned me about this. Um, like, I I just love. There's this common theme in all of Goshoyama's short stories. It's just like you know, park logic at the door. Forget about that, and let's just go on and have a good time with this story. So. I mean, I immediately had so many questions. Just like, how did this small guy manage to rent a property on a rooftop? And then later on, we see a car. Like, how? why does he have a car? And <laughs> I don't know. It, a full-sized car. Like, a full-sized car. <laughs> like, why? And how is he supposed to use it? Like, it's almost like, is he just waiting for random people to show up? And then the, he gets them to drive the car to wherever they need to go? So the only reason I warned you that he was small, I didn't want you to have the same exact reaction as this woman did, because she <laughs> sees him, she screams in shock, and she immediately passes out. And I just didn't want that to happen to you. Yeah, especially given what happens next. The perv. Yeah, so he, he says quite proudly, he says, yet another one, he loses conscience in front of my superb physique. He's just so proud of his <laughs> tiny, tiny body. That or he's like delusional the mini detective then says that he's got no choice and it's time to go to work so he starts to crawl up her skirt asking if she's all right 
This was so unnecessary. Come on. He could have just walked over to her face and patted it, trying to wake her up. Why did he have to go underneath her clothing? Can you so answer that for me? he eventually gets to her chest, which he describes <laughs> no. as a mountain. And then he trips onto her breasts. And uh, that's when she wakes to him uh, groping her. And that's when he introduces himself as George Kirishima, a private detective. So I felt like you can't just go to somebody's face and wake him up. They'll be scared. Oh, okay. But, so you know, it's better to, you know. Just like, you know, of... having a nice feel. And like, they'll be like, oh, that feels good. And they're like, hello, what's your name? They'll say, hey, okay, I'm George, yeah, what's up? We'll, we'll get along, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... And we later find out that she's not even 20 years old. Yeah, but uh, she was into it. <laughs> she was unconscious. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me. It's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> he was just climbing mountains, man. It is a matter of perspective for him. He's a very tiny man. It's like a bug landing I mean, on you, just, Colleen. Think about it. It's it's a little bigger than a bug. And, I mean... There's some I don't... pretty big bugs. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, I don't think that this is forgivable. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he... The thing about him is, like, this didn't make it him... It was also the 90s. It was the 90s, yeah. So it's the nineties, and like I think Japan's a little bit more lenient in terms of ages, right? Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, there you go. Not that so, I knew that offhand or anything. I looked that up. No, yeah. you. It seemed like you had to search that for a long time. Yeah, um, thank you. So, like, despite me being a little creeped out at this scene. The, it didn't make George unlikable to me. No, that might make me sound really weird, but I feel like it wasn't bad enough. Like, it, it was kind of all in jest, if you will. Yep, you know what they say, sexual assault, all in jest. <laughs> uh, if she's unconscious, that's okay, because it's all in jest. It's as long as you're less than three inches tall. Let's get the get the groundwork set here. It's okay. No. Yeah. Um, all in jest yeah, and he's, all he's, on the chest. <laughs> he's a creep. The men in black then open the door and tell her to follow along quietly. George tells them that they're going to be in trouble, but they can't spot him anywhere. It then looks as if she hid George in her breast to keep him out of sight. And she then calls the man in black a pervert, so she slaps him. Oh, yeah. After he's he the pervert. Yep. During the commotion, George gets on the man's black-rimmed hat, and he shoots him with a very tiny pistol. It's like this one-millimeter pistol. Uh, but it does manage to stun him, even though it won't do too much damage, because the bullet must have been, like... <laughs> I don't even know how tiny. Like like a crumb one... size? Yeah, like, like a little piece of bread. Hit you really hard. Uh, they then run off to the office's bathroom. And he tells her to sit down and pull the blue rope. She accidentally hits like the regular flush first, which was kind of funny. And uh, George has to do it himself as the men in black start to break the window to get through. Once they pull that yellow, uh, that blue 
rope. They all fall into George's car, which is just down there, I guess. <laughs> and uh, he tells her to drive it. This full-size car just waiting there. Like, as you said, you really got to take the logic and just throw it away here. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Well, so, okay. So he's got this full-size office on a rooftop. He's got an escape tunnel, if you will, built in his bathtub. Like, who did all of this for him? And I have a guess as to who, but... Like, they never go into that, at least in this episode. And then, on top of everything, he has a full-size car. And I love how he straps himself into it, too. So she pulls away in the vehicle just before the men fall down, and she introduces herself as Asami Ashikawa. George hilariously starts to smoke a normal-sized <laughs> cigarette, which I was just so amused by. And she asks the question that was on everybody's mind, why did you try to rape me? No. She asks him why he's so <laughs> tiny. He says that secrets are a man's fortune. He then tells her to take a right at the intersection as he has a case that he needs to finish. I like this answer here. What? The yeah, secrets are so, a man's fortune? Yeah. It's uh, similar to uh, a character we'll meet later in Detective Kennedy who says uh, a secret makes a woman woman. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I had that exact same reaction. So... Well, Yama loves his secrets. Yeah, he likes uh, definitely saying that men and women have their secrets. What kind of secret is he having, you know? What are you hiding, Oyama? Are you a tiny man, too? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's actually a shrunken... Unusually tiny man? He's a shrunken person. That's why... Is that why, like, the, the manga... Issues are taking longer and longer because he's so tiny and it takes forever to draw this. Oh my goodness! What if that is the case? Like every year he gets smaller and he just can't draw anymore. (laughs) We figured it out. Yep, the biggest mystery of Detective Conan. Asami and George get to a shrine and head to a well that was built during the Edo period. He says that it hasn't been used for 30 years, but the priest kept it intact. I had big time Inuyasha vibes, just saying. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to jump down there, go to the other time period, uh, all while she gets like taken by the men in black and he's off doing whatever. No, well, they have to. he has to go get the uh, jewel shards of the Shikon jewel. That, that's yep. the plot of this, isn't it? <laughs> He tells her to open the chain lock and that the code is 5480. She then gives George's package and she takes off the well's lid. She throws a pebble down to see how deep it is. And then she turns around to see George in full scuba gear. <laughs> what a sight. I love little George. And I want to know who's making all his little equipment because it has to be expensive to get like, here's fully functional scuba gear, but like at like one millionth of the scale. I like that that's actually explained. Or, you know, at least alluded to afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. George tells her to help him into a bucket and to lower him to the bottom of the well as he's going to find out what's down there and give it to his client. She does as he asks and he spots a guardian lion dog statue. He wonders if it was thrown there as a joke and then goes underwater. He swims to the bottom and he spots a comb there that he retrieves then gets back in the bucket, and he alerts her to bring him up by shooting this flare gun up in the air. Which is, it's just, I love the t- tiny miniature guns, are just so funny to me. Yeah, because how would even, like, I, who, uh, like, a normal-sized person, I'm using air quotes, who could make something so tiny for George? 
Yeah, it's just such a trip. Yeah. Uh, as he's being pulled up, the rope breaks off and the buckets are just falling to the bottom. Asami screams out for George, but thankfully he appears, having used a balloon and a bottle of helium uh, he had on him. So he's talking real squeaky. Mm-hmm. So she laughs in relief, and George then presents the comb to his client, who's an old woman that thanks him for it. And Asami wonders who gave the gift to her. George says that every person is unique and that the comb was so important to her, which is why he accepted the case without knowing who gave it to her. What do you think about this whole comb subplot? Um, <laughs> I, like I look, I look some stuff up. It seems so meaningless in it. Apparently it ties into another short story that we'll see later. But uh, like it seems so random and like you're like, what the hell's going on? Oh, definitely. I mean, throughout the episode, I was just trying to figure out, okay, is there a case here? I suppose we want to know who Asami was running away from, but all of this other stuff is just like, okay, let's can we just move on with the main story? Like, it was almost distracting uh, if it weren't so funny because, you know, yeah. with the scuba gear and all that. Definitely seemed like them, like, trying to fill out the episode. Like, they just felt, they just pushed that in and forced it in to make it a bit longer. Yeah. The peaceful moment they're have, having is rudely interrupted as the car's mirror is shot off by the men in black that begin trailing them in another car. George then hits an emergency button, and we see this miniature radio-controlled Aston Martin Lagonda V8 that appears, tells Asami that he'll make a diversion and for her to get away. She protests at first, but he's like, don't worry, I'll be back. <laughs> so we we get to see him in this miniature car, and he's trying to taunt the man and shoot at him. They don't even notice he's there. They're like, do you hear anything? Oh, not really. Which <laughs> is so funny. He's just completely fouling at trying to make this diversion that he said he was going to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm also noticing a lot of like similar things going on in this a short story and the episode that we just watched because there's a lot of like car action going on there's an older lady somewhere involved so i feel like these two actually suit each other even though it wasn't like planned necessarily that yeah. you would watch them back to back yeah so uh george starts falling behind so he takes a detour into this building where he talks to this doctor that looks like a bald agasa we learn that he's a toy maker, and the kids that are with him are just wowed by the talking puppet. And that's when the doctor presents George with an airplane called the Model 52 or Shiki Fighter. George hops into it, and we learn that it's equipped with missiles, Colleen. Yeah, like, if you thought the pistol was something, get a load of this. What do you think about this, like, Dr. Agasa ripoff guy? Oh, I thought he was great. Like, as soon as... Oh, as soon as they introduce the toy shop maker or the toy shop, toy shop owner, toy maker, whatever you want to call him, I was like, okay, that just, you know, makes things a lot more clear as to how George is able to function in this world. And like, of course, he would make friends with like the toy shop guy would make friends with a tiny person like he. I wouldn't freak him out at all. He'd be like, oh, perfect. I can make all this stuff for you now. Yeah, I love it. Just because the kids are there and they're like, oh, we want to play. We want to play with them. And he's like, oh, I hate kids. Yeah. They're the worst. <laughs> I, one of them looks like Shinichi a bit. Another one looks like Hybera, who we haven't seen in the actual 
anime before. I, I couldn't place the third person. I didn't, he didn't really remind me of anybody. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what he looked like. But we see these kids there, and so George hops into it. He flies off, and this boy that sounds like Ken, and he's like, "How much does it cost to like build a plane like that?" And he's like, "That's a good question. <laughs> I don't feel like this toy maker is making much money." No, um, although I misinterpreted that whole uh sequence, I thought he was asking because I think the boy. Not the same, not the Conan ripoff guy, but I think maybe one of the other ones was like, oh, how much for this puppet? Referring to George. So I thought it was still the same joke. He's like, how much for George, essentially? And the joke was, you know, the toy maker guy was like, oh, that's a good question. As if like, you know, how much would you be able to buy George for? Yeah. (laughs) As a doll or an action figure. So we see that the men in black have Asami cornered at the docks. And one of them threatens to get perverted with her before their boss arrives. Uh, before the guy can fill her up, a missile hits the man right in the butt. So he has like a hot butt. He's running around, which is funny. And we see George in the plane. George proceeds to fire lock-on missiles to the rest of the men. And that's when the boss arrives. George is then out of missiles, so he ejects. And the plane itself crashes into him. However... As he's parachuting down, uh, the boss just grabs George. He's so tiny, and it's like, what's he gonna do? Um, he uses the cigarette he was smoking, and he burns the man's hand with it. So, that's the big climatic battle there. Right. The big boss battle. And then, we, we get to see Asami again. She's, like, in a huff. She's all mad. She grabs George, and she asks the boss, who we learns her father. Uh, and she's like, what's this all about, Dad? So, what was mm-hmm. your surprise seeing that it was her dad that was chasing after? Uh, the moment the old guy stepped out of the car, I was like, oh, okay, that's her dad. Like, there was no other uh, explanation that came to me other than, oh, this is one of those. Like, it just seemed like the easiest um, way to tie up this story, making that guy her dad. You were right. You are very right. Uh, so, Sami says that she's old enough to make her own choices. And that she's this detective's secretary, and that they've already done pervy stuff. Well, I don't know if they've done pervy stuff. He's definitely done pervy stuff. If you're unconscious, have you really done the pervy stuff? Right. You're the... Her father... Victim. Yeah, her father yells at George, and he's like, I didn't do nothing, I didn't do nothing. Um, But then he bows, saying that he leaves his daughter in George's very, very tiny hands. (laughs) So that was a bit of a surprise to me. But it was, like, kind of the stereotypical, like, okay, this guy's a gangster, or whoever, mob boss, but he's, like, willing to do whatever for his daughter, and is just like, well, I don't care if you've done pervy stuff. Like, you guys can be together forever. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's like, can this three-inch man really make my daughter not a virgin? Probably not. She's probably safe. So he's like, you know, this might be the best case scenario. We then see George enjoying a cigarette from home. And he says that the night calms his heart. And that's when one of the kids from the uh, toy shop owner comes to look at him. And Sami tells the little girl that George isn't a toy. But the kids ask the toy maker how much he costs anyhow. And the special ends with the kids screaming as George says that he hates brands. <laughs> Okay, no joke. I thought the little girl, I thought they like skipped ahead some 
a few years and the little girl was like their kid or something. <laughs> God, I don't think I could deal with him impregnating somebody. No. Wouldn't so you're thinking they, they they would have a normal sized kid? Uh yeah, I think so. Unless they kind of, they like Goshoyama explains why George is the size he is and it has something to do with um, you know, how he's like a different species of human and like all of them are that size, then I don't know. I, I think that he would have a normal sized person. So apparently uh this got a few entries as like uh manga chapters. So there's two more cases that he goes on. This was the introduction, obviously. There's one called Monster of the Ice Country, and I am a dentist. <laughs> Apparently he gets attacked by a cockroach during one of them. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I found that out after the fact. So when I watched this, I was like, well, that's a bit of a letdown because nothing really happened. There's no real case. Um, I don't count count the hairbrush thing as a case necessarily, but I yeah. gotta say I really liked this. It was so enjoyable. It was just a, such a fun watch. Yeah, I, I they didn't get animated, but if they did get animated, I would like to watch the other stuff. It's it's a fun idea. It's a very fun concept for a show. So maybe maybe down the line we'll have to. See if there's a fan translation of the manga or something we can read. Yeah. So uh, I was quite entertained. Same. I, I think it would be interesting to see what kind of adventures these two would go on. Like George and his secretary or whatnot. Yeah, and there's definitely like some Conan vibes you get from it. Uh, I don't know the exact timeline of when this like manga launched. I'm assuming before Conan, uh, but I, I don't know. But there are some... Or maybe afterwards, but there are some, like, similarities where, you know, the shrunken detective, you've got the Agasa slash Soy Maker that, like, have fulfill a very similar role. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like those mainstays staying there. And then he, the toy shop owner has all the kids, like, the detective boys that are getting, get into a bunch of trouble that probably affects George. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of fun similarities, but it, it does have a diff very different vibe than Detective Conan. Yeah, it's almost a little bit more adult, in a way. Oh, that's just because he fouled up a 14-year-old. <laughs> okay. Or a 20-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so George is sort of like a mix between Conan and Kogro, in a way. Like, I love that it was... I'm pretty sure it was Kogro's voice actor who voiced George. So that was fun. Yeah. Apparently we see him in episode 31 of the anime. You see George Kirishima. He's not tiny. But he's like on the on a TV show apparently. Oh okay. Well, looks like we have to go back now and verify that. Yeah, now we have to watch episode thirty-one. We missed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let me see what case. I also that like. Was real quick. Yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna say that um, I also like the fact that George, like this tiny person, happens to hate children. Who, of course, like I would assume kids would, you know, love George because of his tiny stature but just the fact that he doesn't reciprocate those feelings I, I think makes for like interesting character development okay so this was episode 31 the tv station murder case the one where the tv host kills the other guy 
So it was just like another one of their programming shows. So you can spot them there on a TV. So that's fun. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I thought this was a really fun special. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the next one because it'll be the short one out of the three. Oh. uh, And we also get to see Baby Shinichi, which I've been looking forward to seeing. Really? Because this one has Shinichi as a baby, yes. Oh, I can't wait. Is it like uh, a continuation from the Red Butterfly one from the last trio? Maybe. It might take place afterwards because they have a baby. But, uh, you know, we might see Yusaku too, so. That'll be interesting to see. I'm so excited now. Okay. I'm not sure when exactly we'll get to it, but sometime soon. Yeah. So if you had to rank this one amongst the other three that we saw, what would you say? Um, I liked it better. Probably I'd put this, I'd put the second, the first place I'd do the time travel one, the wait for me. I still like that one a lot. And then, uh, Probably put the the red butterfly last, and then the uh, summer Santa Claus third. Okay. What about you? Where would you place it? Uh, probably the same. Although I think, I think, uh, I think the red butterfly one I liked slightly more than Santa Claus. So it would be the time travel yeah. one, George. Red Butterfly and uh, Santa Claus for me. Yeah, it was just so short that it's hard to compare it to something more flushed out. No, that's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so next week we have we get back to the anime. We have a two parter. We'll be covering the Cooking Classroom Murder Case, which is a two part anime original. So we'll get to learn about your cooking skills, Colleen. Oh, you don't want to know. So that'll do it for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at case underscore reopened. Uh, We really appreciate anybody. If you're using Apple podcasts, leaving a review or a rating that does a lot of help for us getting discovered by other detective canon and case goes fans. So we appreciate that. And we want to thank everybody for the support. We hope you're all staying safe. Um, and we'll be back next week with that two-parter. Really excited to go into Cooking Town. Hopefully Guy Fieri will appear. And, uh, we'll see you next time, eh? Well, hopefully Gordon Ramsay will appear, too. Uh, but yeah, thanks, everybody. And, um, remember, one truth always prevails. Eh? Eh? (laughs)